You know, today is a, it's the first of a lot of different things for me. Um, it's the first time that I actually went to a cradle roll Sabbath school and, and got to play behind the piano. <laughs> Shelly Vasquez, we missed you today. <laughs> um, today is also a first I've never been given lines for my sermon. So, <laughs> don't worry, Anita, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch it. I'm going to catch it. And... Um, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but that children's time is one of my favorite times during the service. Um, I don't know. Yeah, sure, it's, I'm closer to the green, soothing carpet, but, um, <laughs> but it's just a, really, a real blessing for me um, to know that just as Jesus said, let the little children come, this church is being intentional about that as well. And so praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I also just wanted to, in line with that, um, we're doing something a little special today during our potluck, our fellowship meal. Uh, the there's actually a special table for the children today. Okay? So if you have a little one and you're kind of worried about him or her just running around, not quite sure where <laughs> or what he or she is doing, don't worry. There's a special table just for those little ones, this, these precious little ones, um, set up in the, I think it's in the serving room, right? Yeah, okay, I, we'll see it. Thanks, Miss Eva and others who, who helped put that together. Again, happy Sabbath to you all. I am excited um, to get into the Word this morning. So why don't we just bow our heads for a word of prayer as we do that. Gracious Father in heaven, today is your Sabbath day. We will rejoice and be glad in it. God, you are faithful as our creator. You are faithful as our recreator. And Lord, there's something about the Word of God, that actually gives life. Lord, we're, we're going to open up these pages, and, and we want this to be more than just ink on paper today. We're going to look at a story that may sound familiar. My mouth will be moving, hoping that words would come out. But ultimately, God, we want your word. Amen. Jesus, we need you every hour, including now. And as we open up this Bible, we give you permission to open up our hearts. Please transform us. This is not something we can conjure up. This has to be the work of your Spirit. And so wherever we are in our journey with you, no matter how near, no matter how far, wherever we are, God, just meet us in our deepest need. Thank you in advance for doing it because we've prayed in Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. 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 Take your Bibles, if you would, and go with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. You know what? I'm going to pick up a different Bible. I'm going to read this out of the New International Version today. Luke chapter 15. It's the third book of the New Testament. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to a passage that we looked at last Sabbath. This month, we're looking at the passion of the Christ, the passion of Jesus. And when we talk about passion, we're talking about that ardent desire, that overmastering conviction, that drive, the thing that, that, that overrules and dominates every other thing in our lives. And for Jesus, his passion was to seek 
and save that which was lost. That was the passion of the Christ. That was the passion, as we saw last week, that not just drove him at the very end of his life to the cross, but it was the passion that drove him throughout his life in every interaction that he had to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a passion for you. It's a passion for me. It's a passion for anyone who is lost. And that's the, that's the God that we serve. And the reality is that as we look at the passion of the Christ, our hope and our prayer is that his passion would become our passion to seek and to save that which was lost. So go with me now to Luke chapter 15. You may remember how this, this story opens just in those opening verses. Luke chapter one, 15, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. The NIV reads as this. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Speaking of Jesus. All right? Jesus, the ultimate magnet. Okay? He's drawing the lowest of the low. The tax collectors and sinners. They want to hear what he has to say. But then verse 2 begins, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, ah, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so we have a contrast. Jesus, who is showing genuine love such that people's hearts are wide open to him. And then there are those who are supposed to be shepherds of the lost, but who could care less about the lost. It's a sad contrast, but all too often we see it in our own lives. And here the Pharisees, they take up the complaint. Ah, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're more concerned about, about protecting their own boundaries. They're more concerned about remaining separate from sinners rather than saving sinners. But Jesus cannot do anything but seek and save the lost. He can't sit on his hands and just let things go as they always have been. Jesus has to do something, and he's mingling with them as one who desires their good. It's a powerful picture. And he goes on to tell some stories, and last week we looked at the first one about the shepherd who goes, who goes and seeks the one who wandered away from the 99, and this shepherd goes until he finds it. This morning we're taking a look at the second story, beginning in verse 8. It reads, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? The, the question is rhetorical. It's, it's an obvious, it's a gimme. Of course she would. Of course she would. In verse 9, and when she finds it, not if she finds it, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Picture it in your mind. We don't know very much about this woman. Probably just a commoner, a peasant class woman. And, you know, there, there's not too much that describes her except there are certain details, just the fact that she has to light a lamp in her possibly one-room house Probably no windows in this house. Stone cold floor. And here she is. Doesn't have much, but she does have ten silver coins. And the Greek word for this coin is, is the drachma. It's a Greek coin. It's a silver coin equivalent to the Roman denarius, which is probably about one day's wage. 
So a day's wages, we're not sure how much else she has, but we know for sure that she has 10 silver coins, at least 10 days' wages in her possession. Not the most padded emergency account, okay? And here she is. She's got 10 of them. Now, some commentators, maybe you have the New King James Version, and you've got a, 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 a little footnote that says that this is possibly part of her, her wedding headdress, or maybe this is part of her, her wedding dowry. And so that it's very, very possible that these coins have very special significance to this woman. Whatever the story is, the reality is it's important enough for her to not just say, oh well, I'll get another one. The coin is irreplaceable. The coin is of utmost value. And it reminds us a little bit about the shepherd who lost one and said, no, I'm not just going to wait till mating season again to replace that one to, to, to reach my 100 quota. No, I'm actually going to go and seek that which was lost. Friends, I don't know if you realize this, but you and I, whether we're sheep or we're coins, we're irreplaceable in the sight of God. Amen. And so wherever you are, you may feel like, oh, God's smile is on him, God's smile is on her, God's smile is over you too. And he longs, he longs for you to know that, to see that, to believe that, and receive that today. You know, some, some have looked at the, the similarities between the, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And there are some similarities. It, it's, it's almost as if Jesus is just look, trying to pound one nail and just get it down really deep to make sure it's fast and secure. But there are certain differences here. In both parables, there's something of value which is lost, right? We, we see that very clearly. In, in the parable of the lost sheep, it's obviously a, a sheep that's lost. And in this parable with the woman, it's a, a coin that's lost. But notice the very difference here. The sheep is, is a living creature, whereas the coin, it's, it's an inanimate object, has no thought process about it. So there's something different about this lost object. Whereas the sheep knows it's lost and bleats its way until it gets found, the coin has no idea that it's lost. There's no awareness. You could say it's an indifference. You could say it's just, hmm, who cares? Whatever the situation, this, this coin that's lost in the sight of God, doesn't, it's lost and it doesn't even know it. Another difference is that while the sheep is wandering far, far away, on some mountain vale over there. Where's the coin lost? In the house. Right under our noses. Is it possible? Is it possible to be in the house and still be lost? Now, lost is actually a very, it's a heavy term. I looked it up uh, this week and, and really... It's talking not just about being lost directionally, but lost to utter ruin. It's a strong word. Sometimes it's translated as destroyed. Sometimes it's translated as perished. So we're talking about a coin that is on its way to destruction, a sheep that is out because it's prey to predators, and that's why it's, it's, it's left for destruction. And so when we're talking about something that's lost, it's not just, oh, Maybe it'll roll back one of these days. No, no, no. It's lost, cut off, utterly ruined. And it's in-house. Is it possible to be cut off from God yet still be in the house? Now that's pretty sobering, especially when you think about the 12 disciples. 
12 men who got to walk and talk with Jesus. Day by day, saw the miracles, heard the words, saw eyes open for the first time, saw lepers cleansed, saw the dead raised. And yet even one of those 12, by the name of Judas, utter destruction. Yet he was in the house. It's possible to be in the house and still be lost. So it's not about proximity. It's not about proximity. It's about awareness and receptivity. And so here, that which is lost in this parable, it's lost and it doesn't even know it. It's lost right under our noses. The other reality that, the similarity, excuse me, that you see is that whatever is lost, whether it's the lost sheep or the lost coin, whatever is lost, it's eventually found, right? We can praise the Lord for that. It's eventually found. But what's interesting is that in the, the parable of the lost sheep, the emphasis of being found, did you, do you remember what, what the shepherd does when he finds the sheep, picks it up, lays it on his shoulders, right? Now, here in the parable of the lost coin, there's nothing said about the woman putting it back in her headdress or, or in her wallet or purse or handbag, whatever it is, you know? And nothing said about what happens once she finds it except for the rejoicing, which is repeated in both. But what's emphasized in this parable is what steps she took to actually find it. It, it, In other words, what's being emphasized here in this parable is the search process itself. Notice, it's it's really in detail. Actually, the three active verbs there in verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Notice this. It's like the, uh, the author, or the storyteller, the master storyteller Jesus is, he's like laying a triple layer cake for us, okay? Notice, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully for it until she finds it? And so here, the emphasis is on the search process, how it is that the woman goes about searching. She lights a lamp, sweeps care, excuse me, sweeps the house, and searches carefully. Three verbs that tell us some pretty significant things. Notice, it's actually, when you, when you take a look, it, it's actually something that, that the woman is constantly doing. The Greek there, it's, it's a, a continuous action. It's not that the woman says, okay, I'm just going to light the lamp once, I'm just going to sweep once, and I'm just going to search once. No, the verbs are actually, I'm going to keep lighting the lamp, I'm going to keep sweeping the house, and I'm going to keep searching for the coin. It's a continuous search. It's a continuous search that never stops. The other thing we realize is that it's a thorough search. In other words, no stone unturned. I'm pulling out all the stops. And Jesus will go all out. That's the kind of search. That's the kind of passion that we're talking about that Christ has. And so, so what are these three things? Excuse me, lighting the lamp, sweeping the house, searching carefully. You see these, these three aspects in the ways that Jesus himself ministers to people. When, when we talk about uh, the passion of the Christ and, and the passion to seek and save, really, it, there's, there's three things here. Jesus has a passion to light a lamp. When he goes to search, Jesus has a passion to light a lamp. He's not going to go searching in the dark. He's, he's going to turn on a light. And when we look throughout Scripture, that, that metaphor of light, it's used very, very broadly. But when you think of light as a metaphor for something in Scripture, what do you think of? 
A candle, okay. Maybe a verse comes to your mind. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, the function of light is to reveal. The function of light is to dispel darkness, to, to, to turn away shadows, is to make things known. And Jesus, in his ministry, as he searched for people, he went through every effort to reveal the character of God. He went through every effort to, to proclaim the word of God in such a way that people would know who he is. And so with our ministry, as we're seeking others, as we're seeking coins, whether they're in our house or, or, or sheep who are far away, we ought to bring the word of God to them. I tell you what, I mean, we can say nice things. We can, we can even encourage people in such a way that, that will give them a pat on the back, but the only source of light we have is the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he says, do, you would do well to pay attention to the Word of God. That is like a lamp shining in a dark place. And so as we're seeking to be a blessing to people, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to open up the Bible. Don't be afraid to share a scripture that you've hidden in your heart because it's from the word that we have life. It's the word that gives us light. So it's a passion to light a lamp, but it's also a passion to sweep the house. You think about it, you know, again, just kind of picturing this woman in her home. I'm not sure what it's like on the ground. I don't know if you've ever been in, in such well, this happens a lot when you've got little ones who've got lots and lots of toys. <laughs> but when, when things just kind of get strewn around the house, at first it kind of bothers my eye at least. But after a while, if you don't do anything about it, you kind of uh, forget that it's there. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, yeah? Um, I notice it on Fridays when I start picking up the house. I'm like, oh, whoa, <laughs> I almost stepped on this thing the whole week. <clears throat> the reality is that this woman she realizes that, look, there are things on the ground that have settled because of neglect or just caring less. And I need to sweep the house clean so that I can see what's really there. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, well, for Jesus, Jesus came at a time in which dust had settled on the lost. Jesus came at a time in which uh, religion was was high and mighty, but it was just going through the motions without any serious devotion. And in the rounds and in the ceremonies, people were neglected. It's possible to be good at worship, but to, in fact, forget people. And that's what it was in Jesus' time. And I believe that dust had settled on those who had been lost, to the point that they had forgotten. You know, they're on the ground, they're lost somewhere, but I'll just step around. And here Jesus is, he comes in, and literally speaking, he sweeps the house. You remember that story? It's recorded in John chapter 2 for the first time, and other places in the gospel. Jesus sweeps clean the temple, so to speak. He cleanses the temple of all the religiosity, all the ceremonies, all the rounds, and saying, look, look, this is meaningless You've forgotten of what really matters. You've forgotten the priorities. Your priorities are totally skewed and misplaced. Let me sweep this house clean. Do you remember what happens after he drives out the money changers? After he drives out those who are selling doves and cattle, etc.? Who comes back into the temple? 
the children? Is it possible to neglect the children? Is it possible that in our, in our misplaced priorities of, of being so good at our religiosity, uh, uh, being so good at our external uh, religion and, and, and things like this, that we actually forget the children? Do you remember who else came back into the temple? Yeah, those who were broken, those who were, who were in need of healing. And at times, we get so wrapped up with the things that we're doing that we actually forget that there are hurting people that need ministry. And in those times, it's time to sweep house. <laughs> to shift things around. To, to reset the clutter in such a way that we can actually see what really matters. This woman needed to sweep her house clean. Jesus swept the house clean. And sometimes in our search for the lost. We may not even know where they are. We may not even know how many. We may not know that they are lost. But when we sweep, we'll see what really matters. So Jesus has a passion to light the lamp. Jesus has a passion to sweep the house. Jesus has a passion to search carefully. Now again, this is all talking about within the home, right? This is not talking about outside. Just wanted to throw that in. Sorry, I just saw you need it. <laughs> I needed to get that out. All right, so, so while the sheep was lost outside, this coin is inside. And Jesus has a passion to search with care, to search carefully. Now, this is a really significant thing because Jesus is going to look under every stone He's not going to leave any options left out. In fact, when you read this in the message translation, uh, let's see here if I've got it. In verse 8, the message translation says it like this. Do I have it? Maybe I don't have it. Bum deal. Someone's got an iPhone, right? You can look it up for me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways. The point of the message, it says it looks through every nook and cranny. And I, I just wanted that phrase. He looks through every nook and cranny to make sure that he doesn't miss anyone. Jesus searches with care. What's interesting is that that word carefully, I think the NIV puts it, search carefully. That, that descriptor, that's the only time that word ever shows up in the New Testament. The only time. And it comes from a verb that is only used three other times in Scripture. Once, when it's talking about elders taking care of the flock of God, in 1 Timothy 3.5. And then two other times in Luke, actually. Luke chapter 10. It's in a familiar story about the good Samaritan who took care of one who was wounded. You remember that story? Priest passed by, Levite passes by, they take no care. Samaritan, a foreigner, a stranger who is supposed to stay far away, he takes care of one who needs mercy. Picks him up, you know, put, puts him on his donkey, walks the donkey to an inn, and then he tells the innkeeper, you take care of this person until I come back. That's the only other times this, anything like this word ever shows up. Is it possible that as Jesus is saying to search carefully for those who are in-house, to search carefully for those wounded, those neglected. Is it possible that Jesus is actually calling us not just to, to search um, 
with diligence, not just to search with urgency, but to search with sensitivity. To search with care. It's not just about sending a postcard saying, hey, we miss you. Although that is important, that is an important gesture, but is it possible that that Jesus is calling us to a personal touch with people? To search with care. Carefully. That's how Jesus did it. He wasn't just about putting a, uh, what do you call those things? Air balloons? No, not how to balloon. What are those big blooper? Oh, what am I talking about? Blimp! Thing. Blooper, what is this? <laughs> He's not just talking about putting a blimp in the sky saying, hey, we love you. He's talking about going, searching carefully, sensitively. Because it's those who are lost in house that are wounded sometimes the most. Jesus says, I've got a passion to light a lamp. I've got a passion to sweep the house. I've got a passion to search with that kind of sensitivity and care. And then the parable continues and says in verse 9, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Interestingly, the friends and neighbors in this verse, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a repeat of verse 6, right? Verse 6 in the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd comes and he calls his friends and neighbors together. But here the woman is actually calling her female friends and her female neighbors. So this is a girl party, all right? This is like, hey, hey, which, which makes me think that this is actually part of her, her wedding dowry because this is something that the other ladies would deeply resonate with. And they're saying, oh, man, praise the Lord, you found it. And so here... She says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Interestingly, in the New King James, it says, I have found the the peace which I lost. And so somehow there's almost a responsibility taken there that speaks very deeply. Sometimes people wander or sometimes people are neglected, not because of their decision, but because of something we've done. She says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In verse 10, in the same way I tell you, now this is cool, watch out, verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of who? Of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Think about this. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Who is in the presence of the angels. Besides other angels, God himself. God is saying, hey, it's not just the angels that are throwing a party. I'm the one doing cartwheels in heaven. (laughs) I'm the one giving high fives all around. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels because I'm the one who's overjoyed over you when you repent. Over me when I repent. Over anyone who's in-house, who is totally indifferent to being lost, and finally comes to their senses because we've swept the house, we've lit the lamp, and we've searched with sensitivity. Yes, we've brought them back, and God is overjoyed. He is doing cartwheels in heaven. (laughs) That's a party I want to (laughs) see. And so that's the passion of heaven. Do you realize that all of heaven is interested in seeking and saving the lost? I mean, it's not just God. He's saying, look, you know, it's really important to me. Would you please do this for me? I mean, angels, I I know 
these guys can be really annoying sometimes. That Godfrey, he keeps going after this. No, no, no. The angels are, are, are all about it too. This is their passion too. The whole family of heaven is passionate about seeking and saving the lost. And the question this morning is, what are we about? What are we passionate about? Are we passionate in the same way that the angels and God himself are passionate in seeking and saving that which is lost? Are we? <laughs> you know, the reality is that I am, I, like, my family and I are so blessed to be a part of this church family. <laughs> I go home each day, you know, hanging out with preschoolers, playing around and stuff every day. I, it's, it's just a joy, you know? Um, there's a lot that we do well. There's a lot that God has blessed us with, strengths that are part of our church family, spiritual gifts that are being expressed and used. But I tell you what, I did not come to Parkwood just to have a nice church family. Is it okay that I, I'm just kind of, just, just letting it out, all right. I, I did not come to Parkwood just to preach nice sermons. I did not come to Parkwood to see that Sabbath schools are run nicely. I did not come to Parkwood to, 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 to support um, you know, our Pathfinder ministries and things like that. Yes, we need to do all these things. Yes, these are important. Yes, our ministries and our small groups and our Sabbath schools, these are all important. But, but here's the point I'm trying to make. Those ministries, those small groups, those Sabbath schools, these church services, these sermons, whatever it is that we're doing, they're not the end in themselves. That's not the goal. The goal is seeking and saving that which is lost. And so if we ever get to the point where we're just saying, look, uh, it's all about having a really nice service. It's all about making sure that, that my sermon is just crafted just right. It, it's all about making sure that our pathfinders are, are spiffed up and they know exactly how to, you know. I mean, these are great because it teaches so much, but it's not the end in itself. It's not the goal. The goal is to seek and save that which is lost. So in our church services, are we about seeking and saving that which was lost? I need to ask myself in my sermons, in my teaching, in my Bible studies, I'm not just writing a sermon. I'm not just teaching a lesson. I'm not just writing a Bible study. I'm seeking and saving that which, there's a greater picture. Am I, am I being clear about that? If you're a ministry leader, if you're a Sabbath school teacher, it's not just preparing for that ministry. It's not just preparing for, for you know, the daily things at preschool. It's seeking and saving that which is lost. All of those are means to an end. And the end is to seek and save that which is lost. So what are we about? <laughs> what are we about? I pray that the passion of the Christ would be the passion of his church. That the passion of the Christ would be the passion of his church to seek and save that which is lost. I want to tell you about two things before we close today. First, I want to ask you to pray. In the next few weeks, our leadership team, our elders particularly, and others who are involved, we're going to be getting together. We're going to be embarking on a very prayerful process and asking this very simple question. Why does Parkwood exist? What are we about? What, why did God put Parkwood here? I mean, we, we real, I don't know if you remember, but 1913 was when the Salida Church was actually formed. 
just up the road off of, is it Kiernan, right? Yeah. Oh, man. 1913, two years before Ellen White died. Praise the Lord. They were driven by counsel. They were driven by counsel from the spirit of prophecy. They were driven by the word of God. To, to, they had a specific mission in mind. Several years later, it moves here. The congregation moves here. And for some reason, God put this place here. It has fulfilled its purpose year and year and year again. And here we are, 2013, and we need to ask the question again, why has God put Parkwood here? What is the will of God for Modesto Parkwood? Here in this area, in 2013 and beyond, what are we about? It's easy, I tell you. The natural tendency of things is just to do things because that's how they've always been done. That, that's how it is for me. You know? you know, I don't know why I put my left foot in before my right foot. I just do. Okay? <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no grand purpose there. It's just the, the round of things. You know, I don't know why I, I floss my bottom teeth before my top teeth. I just do. There's a tendency to get comfortable with the things that we do, but we need to keep asking the question, what are we about? And it's always, it always ought to be informed with, what is God about? Amen. And when, we, when I read these parables, when I read this scripture, I realize that this is a story all about God seeking me. <laughs> all about God finding me. You realize that's the story of Christianity, not how I found God, but how God found me. And so here... In the next few weeks, I'm asking you to pray because our leadership team is going to be seeking, God, what do you want us to do? And I pray that ultimately it would be driven by a vision to seek and save that which is lost. But how does that translate, practically speaking, to what we do here at Modesto? Anyway, so I'm asking, I'm soliciting for your deepest prayers. I'm asking you, if you're going to be a part of that meeting, our elders team and others, to be, to be fasting and praying before we meet, as we meet. So that's the first thing I wanted to tell you about. The second thing is this. In your, in your bulletins, you've got a little uh, announcement insert. It's, it's, there's a paragraph there about seven days of miracles. Do you have that there? Seven days of miracles. Beginning next Sabbath, we're going to be praying. We're going to be uh, embarking on a journey together all across North America. The North American Division is, is putting out this thing called Seven Days of Miracles. You can look it up on your computer, sevendaysofmiracles.com. North American Division is encouraging every member in every church to take one week. <laughs> Just to take one week to be intentional about reaching one person. And like Harold said, this ought to be not something... This... this, uh, this intentionality, this purpose ought not to be limited to a program. It, 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 not to just, it not be one week, right? It ought to be our way of life. But the North American Division is just encouraging us, just think about it. Be intentional. Be purposeful, okay? So, so beginning next week, we're going to be praying together about who God wants me to reach, who God wants you to reach, okay? So before next Sabbath, would you please pray and ask God, who is it that you want me to seek? Who is it that you want me to search for with care? Maybe it's a sheep wandering far, or maybe it's a coin right under your nose. Are you willing to do that? Yeah? It's just a matter of simple prayer. 
And I believe that God actually answers prayer. That when we ask, he'll actually give you a name. And then next week when we pray, he'll actually open up doors. I believe he can do it. Seven days of miracles. Hope it's 365 days of miracles. But would you please pray? Would you please pray for that? Now today I realize that here we are. Some of us uh, may find ourselves in in the shoes of the woman who is avidly lighting lamps, sweeping house, searching carefully. And then some of us may be on that coin side of things today. Dust has settled. I've found my crack (laughs) to be stuck in the floor. And I'm totally comfortable just being out of the picture. But for some reason, God has brought you here. And so today, I don't know where you're at. But I would just want to extend the simple appeal of Jesus to come home. Jesus' heart is wide open. And he's not going to stop searching until he finds you. (laughs) For those of us who need just that kick in the pants, (laughs) go, 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 seek and save, then take it. (laughs) Take it from God and say, please, give me a passion for the lost, just like the passion of the Christ. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, today I thank you for simple stories with a simple message. And today I, I want to lift up several prayers. One, I want to pray for this church. Thank you for planting Parkwood here for a specific purpose. Not one that is dreamed up by people, but one that is revealed by the living God. God, you have a divine call. You have a sacred call. You have a mission for this congregation. And we want to follow your lead. And so, Lord, we pray that in the next few weeks as we seek you, we pray that you would give us your vision. That the things that matter to you would matter to us. Thank you for the ministries that are in place. Thank you for the leaders that you have cultivated here. And I pray that you would strengthen their hands and fortify their, their, their energies, Lord. And still raise our eyes to look at the bigger picture, to seek and save that which is lost. God, give us your passion today. Lord, I also want to pray for those who, who, who may be feeling like a coin that is completely neglected. And today I thank you for this revelation that you are one who does not neglect. That you are one who searches. And so, if there's a heart here that needs to hear that you are seeking them, would you please, would you please grab hold of their hearts today and rejoice with them. Thank you so much that you're the one who's doing cartwheels today. (laughs) And Lord, I pray now, That as we walk out of these doors, we would walk out as missionaries. That the passion of the Christ would not just be something to ooh and ah over, but that the passion of the Christ would become our passion. Lord, teach us to pray for souls. Teach us to labor over souls in prayer, in effort, God, give us sensitive hands that we would search with care. 
and tenderness. Give us words that we would speak your words in due season to him or her who is weary. God, lay a name, a face on our hearts that we can be used by you in the next few weeks to seek and save. Would you please speak to us about that? Would you please make that a a daily prayer for us this week? Thank you so much for the things that you are doing. Thank you so much for the things you have yet to do. Because we've prayed in the powerful and saving name of Jesus, let everyone say, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord.